Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazor. And ladies and gentlemen, we've made it. Well, granted, we still haven't technically made it because it'll be, you know, about four days from when this episode comes out, but we made it. We have survived the offseason, and finally, finally, we get to see the K-State football team in action this weekend at Bill Snyder Family Stadium up against the South Dakota Coyotes, who apparently get very angry if you call them anything but the Coyotes. (laughs) Fun fact of the day. But as always, we're back once again doing our pregame previews, pregame scouting reports for each and every opponent on K-State's schedule this year, which of course starts at the very top against the FCS school, South Dakota Coyotes. We're just going to go ahead and dive straight into their 2021 stats. And I'll take the offensive side of the ball if you want to take defensive, Connor. Works just fine with me. All right. You think we'd have that sorted before the episode, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of what the South Dakota Coyote, Coyotes did last year, they had a 7-5 and five record with a 5-3 and three record in the conference. Grand total of 2,093 rushing yards at a clip of 4.32 per attempt with 20 total rushing touchdowns. In terms of passing yards, they had 2,480, 7.92 per attempt with a 65.2% completion percentage, 18 passing touchdowns and nine interceptions, a third down percentage of 39.51%, which is sort of middle of the road. It's pretty solid. 31 sacks allowed at the FCS level, which is not good. A grand total of 27 points per game exactly, and a total of 324 points for total. So in terms of their offensive numbers last year, if you just look at the rushing yards and passing yards, it is a pretty balanced team. It's a team that's willing to run the ball as well as pass the ball. And once we get into the offensive scheming, you'll understand a little bit how those two play into each other when it comes to how their offense is specifically going to operate. But enough with the offensive side of the ball and their statistics. Connor is with you for the defensive side of the ball. Yep. So defensively, they allow 20.7 points per game for a total of 248 points against them. Passing yards, they allowed 2,676 of them and 16 touchdowns. 1,451 rushing yards against them uh, for 13 rushing touchdowns. And then a red zone scoring percentage of 77% with a 57% touchdown rate. Um, They got 10 interceptions as a defense, 8 fumbles, and 29 sacks. So pretty even sack-wise from uh, the offensive side in terms of what they gave up. Uh, turnover differential we don't really have that number i'd imagine based off what we have because we don't have their fumbles lost offensively so but i'd imagine their number is probably slightly positive uh, with 18 turnovers and then nine interceptions we can reasonably assume they had like three to five uh lost fumbles so they're probably slightly in the positive there but again that's a guess we actually don't know and it's really not that big of a deal but yeah um Numbers that jump out, um, 2,676 passing yards against them. A lot of yards, but they didn't give up a ton of points per game, so that really kind of seems like they have a bend-don't-break 
uh, sort of defense where you give up just a ton of yards, but not a lot of touchdowns. Um, part of that does play into the 77% uh, red zone scoring percent, which maybe I'm just conditioned to K-State giving up a lot of field goals that get made, <laughs> but it doesn't seem that bad. 57% touchdown rate in the red zone is also pretty good. That's, that's excellent. Yeah, so uh, you know, pretty, again, uh, classic signs of a bend, don't break defense. Uh, K-State fans will recognize that from the entirety of Bill Snyder 2.0, um, with the exception of like 2012. Um, but yeah, uh, rushing defense, uh, pretty solid. Uh, 1,451 rushing yards allowed over the year. Uh, that's pretty, pretty good. Um, not elite, but pretty good. Um, 20.7 points per game is solid as well. Um, but that's all I have for stats. If you, unless you have anything additional to add, no. the The only thing I really have to add to that is just the exceptional red zone numbers. And also, I meant to say with their record, they actually had two teams in common with us that we played last year. They lost against KU in the first game of the year, and they lost against Southern Illinois in the first round of the FCS playoffs. If you remember the Southern Illinois Salukis, well, you should, because they were an FCS team that gave us a headache last year for uh, reasons Yeah, that I'd rather not relive. We don't have to. Yeah. But in terms of who is coming back, or I guess suppose in one case, an addition for this South Dakota squad is going to be their starting quarterback is returning. That would be Carson Camp who I believe eligibility-wise is actually a considered a sophomore, despite technically having already thrown you know, around for two seasons because of the COVID season where they had two seasons in one year. So I think he's technically, I think in terms of his schooling, he might be a junior, but eligibility-wise, he's a sophomore. Then they're bringing back their leading rusher in Nate Thomas, their running back. And then the person who opened the year on the depth chart as their RB1, Travis Tice, as well as he is their second leading rusher. He's actually, fun fact, from the state of Kansas. He is specifically from Pratt. And of course, we'll go over both of these people in our individual player breakdowns. In terms of receiving talent, they are retaining their leading receiver from last year. That is Carter Bell. And they actually have a familiar face in terms of additions on the defense as they added Devontae Pritchard, the former Kansas State linebacker, to add to their linebacking room. And the final notable returner that I have them having is Brock Mogensen, who is their second leading tackler from last year. So they're returning a pretty solid amount of production from last year, including the majority of their offensive line, which we'll go into in a minute, their starting quarterback, their two leading rushers, and their leading receiver. But that also doesn't mean that they didn't lose anything either. And of course, Connor has you for that. Yeah, they lose their second leading receiver, Caleb Vander Esch, uh, to graduation. Uh, they also lose tight end Brett Sampson. They're starting tight end to graduation. They lose kicker Mason Lorber, Jack Cochran, uh, their leading tackler and interceptions leader at linebacker, and then Jacob Matthew on the defensive line. Their leader and tackles for loss and sacks is gone too. Yeah, and um, Jack so, Cochran was actually on, is, as of time of recording, is on the Kansas City Chiefs roster. I'm not sure if he'll make it past final roster cuts, but he was on the roster. Good for him. Yeah. So, 
this is where normally we would go over their 2022 schedule and what games they've played, but it's kind of their first game of the year. We are their first game of the year. Not a lot to talk about there. So Yeah. (laughs) So let's just go ahead and dive straight into the general takeaways that we took from their film last year. Now, we took a look at some individually, some more as a unit, as a cohesive unit. We took a look at a lot of games from them last year to see what exactly we could figure out. Now, if you don't mind, I... I'll, I'll take I'll take the schemes for both if that's all right, and then we can swap off everything past that. I'll allow it. All right. So let's start off with their offensive scheme, and this is verifiably a college offense, meaning that you're going to get a lot of spread looks, specifically a lot of doubles or twins look, depending on what your terminology is you prefer. A lot of trips looks. A lot of 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end, and even a little bit of 10 personnel, which is one back, no tight ends. So basically, it's whatever you think of of a traditional Big 12 spread offense, that's what you're going to be dealing with. And from that personnel, they actually have a pretty interesting run game in that it is almost certainly always a zone running game. But they have this weird little wrinkle as to where they have a wing tight end, almost always lead block on the side of the zone that they're running, which almost makes you think that it's not a zone run, but the way that it's blocked is. So unless they're running duo, which I don't think it is just because of the way that it's blocked. And again, the difference between duo and inside zone is technically splitting hairs. So I don't know why I'm talking about it so much, but (laughs) Yeah, they run a lot of zone running out of shotgun, not a lot of offset or pistol looks. So you have a pretty good chance of the opposite side of the running back being the strong side of the formation. So another bit about their offensive scheming is that they are now granted, they're not as big as RPOs as, say, a Coastal Carolina or a Louisville, or I should say they're not as creative with them, but they are still very certainly an RPO team which could possibly explain the high completion percentage of the offense. But yeah, this is very much your traditional college spread offense where you're going to get a lot of RPOs, which contributes to the running and passing balance. But the good news is that the 335 was specifically created to stop these RPO-based offenses. So in terms of scheming offense versus defense, the South Dakota offense versus the K-State defense advantage in terms of scheme goes to K-State. Now, Connor, you can go ahead. Unless you have any notes on scheme, you can take the quarterback. Um, I will say one thing on scheme, and it relates to what you were saying just about uh, how it looks. And it felt like I was watching like a Mac offense a lot of the time because I feel like every time I watch a Mac game, it's it's literally just RPO the entire time. Yeah, And that's what it felt like with FCS. That's kind of what I gathered from like lower level college football group of five FCS and down is there's a lot of RPO, like quick, easy read stuff for the quarterback, uh, which getting into the quarterback Carson camp, number 18, younger guy, uh, sophomore still with eligibility, although he has played two seasons at this point. Um, he's got a solid all around game for FCS level. He's not particularly mobile while he still does navigate the pocket pretty well. Um, he does at times get happy feet. Again, not 
particularly mobile, but he at the very least has some solid pocket awareness. He can get out, I suppose, but that's going to be his kind of last resort. Um, he, again, this may seem a little bit uh, ironic or uh, paradoxical, but he is effective on the run. Um, and he, he throws pretty well on the run. And it's, uh, it's interesting that, you know, he lacks that mobility, but he throws so well on the run. Um, he does kind of have an uh, unfortunate habit, at least for him, uh, of missing wide open receivers um, at times. But watching him, he's a competent, solid quarterback. Um, doesn't always make a perfect throw. Um, I mean, no quarterback does, but sometimes he'll miss easy ones. Other times he'll hit great ones. Um, he's pretty hit and miss. Part of that is just being young. Um, he's good. Um, don't get any uh, misconceptions about that. He's probably not as good as Nick Baker, but no, he's Nick Baker was f- ridiculous last year. Yeah, but yeah. So at least a step down there. But Carson Camp. I like him uh, as a quarterback um, for the FCS level, but he, based off of the film that we saw, um, has a lot of room to grow, um, but he's not somebody that's particularly worrying as of yet. Then again, we've only seen him from last year. He may be a different player now. I'm not yeah. super plugged into the grapevine at South Dakota, <laughs> but yeah, I agree with that. He's solid arm. His best trait is without a doubt his his pocket awareness because which kind of makes his sack numbers even more terrifying because he does have great pocket awareness, but he just takes he just gets sacked a lot by virtue of his offensive line. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. But he really does get his he does not for as good as navigating pressure as he is. The happy feet really does hurt his accuracy a lot. If he's kept clean, he'll make the easy throws. He'll miss a couple of pretty – he'll miss the ones that you would want him to make. But, you know, he's an FCS quarterback, and for that level, he won't leave you wanting too much. In terms of running backs, this is one of the cases where we're going to cover two of them, and that is the first one we're going to cover, which is number five, Travis Tice. And you may be noticing if you've looked at the roster, it is spelled T-H-E-I-S. It is pronounced Tice. We have confirmed. <laughs> For as, as bad as some track records are about pronouncing names, we have confirmed that it is Travis Tice. And Travis Tice is not the type of person that I would particularly like to upset. Because on the football field, he is what you would call a remarkably violent runner. He almost plays running back like a linebacker (laughs) in that he's not necessarily looking to make you miss, though, you know, if he can do that, I suppose he will try. But no, his game is to look at you and run you over. And despite this, he's kind of like Spencer Ware in that he has weirdly good hands for a a power back. And the only reason I say Spencer Ware is because Spencer Ware is the only NFL running back that I can think of that was a receiving back that consistently could run with power. That's the only name I can think of. <laughs> yeah, I'm stumped. Yeah. But, you know, he's solid pass catcher. But in terms of how he runs, he runs with all right vision even for his own running team, which uses a lot of lead blocking, he'll typically follow the lead blocker. He doesn't press the blocks as much as you think he would. 
he's just kind of a, a hit the hole and get what you can type of runner. But there's nothing wrong with that. And though I am very fascinated to see what would happen if him and Daniel Green met in the A-gap. But another part of Travis Tice's game is his pretty great, honestly, ability at pass protection, which, you know, Connor, get in the joke. Come on. No. No? Okay. <laughs> also, be, I actually, I don't know what you're even referencing. Snyder. So. Oh. He'd be the perfect Bill Snyder back because he's great at pass protection. Oh, I, I see. I didn't see that's what you were indicating. But yeah, you okay. are right, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Travis Tice is actually a really, really good pass protector. And that's partly because of his violent nature, despite the fact that he played quarterback at Pratt. But Travis Tice, pretty good power back. I could see him, you know, getting and muscling through a few yards, even with our strongest tacklers. But in order to have that answer to Travis Tice, number five, they have number 28, which is Nate Thomas, who actually was their leading rusher last year. Both of them had pretty good years, pretty comparable rushing numbers, but Nate Thomas is definitely the faster and shiftier of the two backs. Whereas I don't want to face Travis Tice if it's a third and three. I'd rather not face Nate Thomas if it's a second and six. He's the shiftier of the two backs, much faster, much more of a home run threat. And in terms of hands, I'd say Tice has the better hands, which again, it's odd because, you know, elusive backs typically seen as a receiver. But yeah, Nate Thomas is another solid back. I'll be interested to see who gets the RB1 snaps or if it's truly treated as a running back by committee. But yeah, that's really all I have on the running backs, which means Connor, you get both receivers and tight ends because uh, I'm sorry, I'm never giving up O-line. I'm really sad because I really wanted O-line. Cause you want O-line? I mean, we. I feel like we can both handle O-line. Because, I guess that's true. Yeah, we can split O-line. I mean, we only have notes on two of the four. So. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. The I'll, take the, I'll take the second one. Okay. After, I'll, take, I'll take receivers and tight ends, though. But you take the first offensive line, which I think is going to be the most fun one anyways. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, but a receiver, they return two uh, receivers who... They were fine. Uh, Carter Bell, number 14, he was productive. Um, he is the most slot receiver in the history of slot receivers. He's a good route runner. And I have very little else to say about him other than like he's like pretty solid, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, then the other receiver returning with any semblance of production is Wesley Eliador, uh, number nine. He's really not been particularly productive. Uh, throughout his career and he's about to be a senior um so not expecting a ton out of him other than like he'll probably be pretty knowledgeable but not somebody that we're expecting to you know really tear up the defense or anything um he he he's just he's fine he's okay and uh, that's kind of the stance on both um receivers although bell could be a threat potentially um that's a bit of a stretch maybe and they're also pretty thin in a receiver as well they only had eight listed on their entire roster which is so weird considering how often they run like 11 and like 10 personnel yeah it's very very strange to me um then tight end fullback the only one worth mentioning was uh, austin gearing uh gearing uh number 83 um they don't really throw to the tight end much at least they didn't throw to gearing very much he's a solid run blocker when he gets ahead of steam other than that there's not really a a ton 
uh, to talk about with Austin Geary. He is a tight end that exists. Yeah. And he was their second tight end last year. He was more used in the wing role because their original starting tight end was lost to graduation. Yep. But yeah, this will be Gearing's year to see if he can do anything, but he was a pretty solid run blocker, especially on lead blocks last year. So now we can talk about the offensive line. And uh, the first thing to note is we hinted earlier that the 31 sacks were not necessarily Carson Camp's fault. And uh, no, the offensive line is real bad. They're big. They're very, very big. In fact, I think they were larger than KU's offensive line last year. They were averaging at like 315 for the weight on the offensive. They're a huge group. I don't mean they're good. (laughs) Mm -mm. I... We can start with the left tackle because the left guard, Joey Lombard, number 76, and right guard, Isaac Irby's, their interior offensive linemen that are big. That's really all we can say about them because they're so. They're remarkably unremarkable. Yeah. But their left tackle, Alex Jensen, at number 70. The first thing that you notice is that he's he should not be playing left tackle. (laughs) Yeah. Just, he's not particularly great at reaction time, nor are his kick steps particularly great, nor is his knowledge of spacing and how to work defensive linemen into other blocks great, and neither is his ability to particularly resist power. You may be asking, what exactly is Alex Jensen particularly good at starting at the FCS level? He's an all right zone blocker? He can seal an edge in run defense, but that's more of a right tackle skill set. But he plays left tackle for them unless he moves and they found a better left tackle, which I'm somehow doubting. But yeah, Alex Jensen, in terms of what he can do, is not necessarily the greatest in pass protection. And even if this is an RPO-based offense, if Felix is lined up strong side at all times... And that strong side happens to be the left side. Oh, this isn't going to end well. (laughs) Not for them, at least. No, not at all. Now, Felix, ideally, is going to have a field day against Jensen. That's the side that he lines up on. Um, But, I mean, we can move on to right tackle Colton Harberts, number 71. Um, He is not much better than Jensen. Um, He can be leveraged really easily. Um, and run defense, uh, his lateral movement uh, is poor. Um, I suppose to put it kindly. It's negative. It's bad. And <laughs> he um, he really struggles uh, with pass protection when you go to the outside, say on a speed rush, or if you're just faster than uh, cough, cough, Nate Matlick. Yeah. Um, so we have two matchup nightmares for each tackle. That they have the saving grace here for South Dakota is that their quarterback is he does possess really good pocket presence, but there's no reason that we shouldn't be able to bring three and get home at least a few times. And I mean, we can bring pressure situationally as well and probably get home too. I mean, their tackles were rough in the handful of. Uh, games that we were able to get through. I mean, they they were not very good. No. Um. So, 
um, which is bad news for them, given the strength of our pass rushers on the edge. Yeah, no, that's not great news for them. So that is the offensive side of the ball. So now we can move on to the defensive side of the ball, starting with their defensive scheming. Now, this is one of the few teams that we've ever evaluated that is truly multiple in the amount of fronts that they deploy. They can go from a three-man front with a walked-up linebacker, which is more of what you would call an odd front, or they can just play a straight-up four-man front, like a 4-2-5. They switch and are able to switch between the different fronts with pretty pretty good consistency. The In terms of what sort of coverages they like to run, it's a lot of zone coverage, a lot of match quarters, or it could just be straight quarters. Honestly, sometimes without having the defensive playbook or all 22, once again, I would do disgusting things for all 22. It's pretty difficult to know, but you can say definitively that they play a lot of zone coverage and a lot of too high safety looks. And a lot of blitz bail concepts, a lot of put linebackers, for example, in their sugar front, they have a nose tackle, two guys lined up at like six techniques as defensive ends, and then a linebacker in each B gap lined up as twos, in which is just head up on the guards. Uh, just the one thing that I noticed there is I'm sorry. Every time I see Blitz Bale against K-State, all I can think of is the Southern Illinois game with, well, let's just say that there was a sniper in Bill, Stanley, Bill Snyder Family Stadium that day. <laughs> there was. Somebody was unfortunately taken out. <laughs> it's, Monster lost, got him. it's lost to the ages. I mean, we've talked about it on the show before. <laughs> yeah. So, some, some will know, some won't. It's, yeah. It's fine at this point. Turf monster got a lineman, but <laughs> you can talk about the defense on the whole and then their defensive line. Yeah. The defense as a whole, um, there were three things that were noticed consistently from what we saw. One of them is that they struggle with tackling, especially in the open field. They're just not a very good tackling defense. They had one particularly good tackler on the entire defense, uh, which was uh, Cameron Tisdale. And uh, I suppose uh, Mogensen was solid, um, but most most of their team is not particularly good, especially in the secondary. Which granted, their secondary guys are not always going to be phenomenal tacklers, but I mean they're all bad at tackling in open space. Yeah. Um, also, a play action just eviscerates any semblance of coverage integrity with this team. I mean, anytime we saw a team run play action or play action boot, it would just destroy the middle field coverage of this team. Then their safeties also really struggled uh, with play action as well. Their play recognition on play action plays uh, was abysmal to put it lightly. Honestly, it was not good that in their standard pass rush, uh, just their, uh, their base defense pass rush uh, was Bluntly, it was ineffective. Um, they, they, if they if they weren't bringing additional people or doing something fancy, they they were not going to get a coverage sack no. unless the quarterback walked into somebody. Which we did see happen once. We did see. Yeah. Speaking of defensive line uh, pass rush, um, over overall the defensive line as a unit 
Um, their assignments sound in the run, but they're not particularly stand out at much. Like again, I say their assignments sound doesn't mean they're great at run defense. It just means that they do their job and they try to put themselves in the, a good spot to make a play. But um, none of them are particularly exciting or special overall, from what we can tell. They're they're not playmakers. It's a good way to put it. Um, they're below average at pass rushing as a whole. Um, and when they were up against a good offensive line, it was pretty easy to forget that their defensive line was there because, I mean, whoever it was they were facing, they were getting a clean pocket on passing downs. Yeah. Uh, they South Dakota just really, really struggles to get to the quarterback um, when they uh, aren't bringing a blitz of some sort. Only player that we uh, um, mentioned here is Nick Gase, uh, number 54. Um, I don't remember much about him. He's I'm an assuming. undersized nose tackle. Yeah, that, that was, I guess, the notable thing because he just kind of weird of an undersized nose tackle, I guess. But yeah, yeah, not not a ton notable uh, about the uh, defensive line. Just not a great unit. Yeah, and, and the defense as a whole, just they they're a run first defense, which you're used to hearing run first offense, but. Uh, they're, they're taught to sold out against the run, which I can only assume they're told to do that in order to try and force harder and like just just to force harder situations to where they have to pass. The problem is that they don't earn that. So, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it. In terms of linebacking room, this is another situation where they're losing their best player in Jack Cochran to graduation slash the NFL. And who's left over is Brock Mogensen, at least from last year. And to his credit, he's a really good pass rusher and is oftentimes probably the only good pass rusher he has. And he's most of the time, if they're in a three-man front, he's going to be the walked-up backer that'll make it a true odd front or a Sam front. That's really all you can say about him. He's a good pass rushing linebacker. In terms of tackling, he's fine. In terms of pass ru- in terms of pass coverage, I should say, that wasn't his job last year. That was Jack Cochran's job. So in terms of that, he's probably one of the most unproven players in coverage. And that that's saying a lot. <laughs> that, that's saying a lot, but if there's going to be anyone on this defensive line or defensive front that's going to get sent on a blitz with any consistency, that's going to give us a slight headache. It'll probably be Brock Mogensen, number 49. And we only have one note on a defensive back, which is Cameron Disdale, number five. Yeah. Um, his deep coverage is solid. Um, he's a decent open field tackler. Um, he, we did notice with his tackling specifically, he uh it takes him a while to bring someone to the ground but he does stop them mm-hmm. he just needs a little help which, yeah. which is fine we all need a little help sometime but <laughs> yeah he his deep coverage is solid i'd say he was probably the only consistently not below average cover guy on this roster um yeah. from what we saw um he was definitely trying the hardest it felt like out of the guys in the secondary and it was pretty easy to tell uh, he's definitely the most passionate out of everybody in the secondary. So he's a name to keep an eye on. Uh, Cameron Tisdale, number five. Yeah. 
So that pretty much wraps up the scouting report portions of the show. Now we can start talking about the stories to watch going into the game. And this is just the section, if you're new, which, by the way, welcome, like 20 or 30 minutes into the episode, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) But this is just where we talk about what stories that we're specifically watching and going to keep a closer eye on than most during and as the game plays out. And to me, the top story to watch and top question is, in Adrian Martinez's first game as K-State's quarterback, does he play a clean game? And by clean game, I basically mean no interceptions unless they're either drops or just complete flukes. And no, basically, does he do enough to keep us in the game and does not at all serve as a detriment? I'm going to say yes. Yes, he does. I agree. I think we see a clean Adrian Martinez game. I think this isn't like a phenomenal performance for Adrian, like which I don't mean that to say the alternative, which is bad. I think he just has a fine performance. Like he probably doesn't even throw 20 passes in this game. Uh, I'd imagine we're looking at a stat line of probably like 12 or 17 or 18 and gets around to maybe 200-ish yards, uh, a couple touchdowns, then maybe 40, 50 rushing yards uh, to to add. Yeah. But I suppose we can move on to the next point then, if you don't have anything else to add. Nope. Um, do we use Adrian's mobility more or less relative to how he was used last year? Yeah, relative to how he was used last year in the And I feel like the answer is almost certainly by design less because option was a big part of Nebraska's offense last year. I feel like he'll no, he won't because he'll have a better offensive line. So just in general, I think he'll use his mobility less and use his arm strength more. Yeah, I agree with that too. Um, I, I, I think that the staff, in a perfect world would maybe use him a little bit more in the run game just because he is incredibly dynamic. But I, I I also think that they really want to keep him healthy. Um, and especially against uh, South Dakota, maybe early in the year, unless things are getting dire, we probably aren't going to see a ton of designed run for Adrian. We'll see some probably unless it's really just working well. And they're just not defending it at all. Then we might just continue to roll with it if he's sliding and like keeping away from contact efficiently. But I'd imagine we're probably not going to be seeing as much read option uh, and whatnot compared to what we saw last year with Adrian and Nebraska. But then again, we'll see. Yeah. The next question is Does Colin Klein, as the new offensive coordinator at K State, does his offense look, for want of better term, in sorts? In other words, does his offense look good? And this is one that I truly, the optimist in me says yes, because I watched the Texas Bowl. In fact, I've watched the Texas Bowl multiple times at this point. So I really want to say, yeah, it'll look good. It'll look like a solid Big 12 offense. It'll look as if it has a degree of innovation. And not every passing route is an option route where literally no one knows where anyone is going. And 
hopefully if there is any hiccups, he's willing to adjust because that was a problem we had last year was the inability to adjust when things weren't working. But I say, yeah, Colin Klein's offense looks like it's clicking against South Dakota. Yeah, I'm kind of there too. I'm a little up in the air on it just because I'm wondering about it, you know, being the first game as offensive coordinator, are there any hiccups? But we really didn't see any hiccups in the Texas Bowl, and he had significantly less time to prepare for that. Um, And this also is probably better offense than we had last year. So I'm leaning towards yes, especially because I don't think South Dakota's defense is great, um, at least based on the eye test. Um, And I I think that we're going to have a pretty good offensive season. So I think that this is a ruthlessly efficient game from the offense. I think that they do what they want when they want in this game, maybe punt a couple times. But I I don't think that the offense really has any trouble doing what they want to do in this game. Yeah. Here's a big question on the... Oh, wait, no, this is yours. Yes. Who starts at safety for K-State? There are three. There will be three starters at safety. So who are those three? See, this is a great question. And I'm not sure Kleiman knows right now. <laughs> um... If I were to make a prediction gun to my head right now, I would say at strong safety, TJ Smith at free. Well, actually, no, at strong safety, I'll go Josh Hayes. At free safety, I'll go Kobe Savage. And at Jack, I'm not willing to let the Drake Cheatham train die. So at Jack, I'll have Drake Cheatham as my three starting safeties. Optionally, you can sub out Josh Hayes for Sincere Mason. You see, I would put Savage at strong, Cheatham at free, and then I'm up in the air between Josh Hayes and Sincere Mason at Jack, which I'm kind of thinking maybe Sincere Mason, honestly, at Jack. But I go back and forth because that's kind of been the dilemma as of late is who do we start at safety? Because it seems like there's several worthy candidates at this point. I mean, we even hear names like VJ Payne, uh, and he's a true freshman. And TJ Smith, who's been in the program longest and still somehow feels like the odd man out. Yeah, he's perpetually the odd man out. Granted, two, I think at least three safeties graduate after this year. Yeah. So um, he should have next year. Uh, to be a starter. And even then, he's still going to be seeing the field quite a bit this year. Yeah. But, I mean, it's dealer's choice, honestly, with who starts at safeties. Because it's also going to be arbitrary because we're going to see all of them anyways. Yeah. So, but it's still it's still worth tracking. I'm interested to see the depth chart uh, that gets put out if we're still doing that. But, but we shall see. I think they're supposed to come out um, Tuesday before the game. I am looking forward to it. I think it's when it was supposed to come out. Mm -hmm. So to me, this probably should be the top question is, do we escape this game healthy? Now, I'm not saying we have bad experiences with FCS games and people getting hurt, but uh, I feel like this should be the top priority here. I say probably, I say we probably escape mostly healthy. And that's all I would want. Yeah. I think maybe there's like one minor injury in this game. I'm 
I mean, like, I'm not hoping for it, of course. I hope that we get out without any injuries. Yeah, but cool. I mean, there's a chance that, I don't know, maybe somebody gets dinged up a little bit in, like, the first or second half, and we just don't see them for the rest of the game, and they're back next week. Um, Maybe, I don't know, I don't want to speculate too much on it. It feels kind of weird to, like, speculate on it. Yeah. But I imagine we stay mostly healthy. But then again, I mean, it's impossible to predict stuff like that. Um, But given... Uh, how much focus it seems there's been on uh, the strength and conditioning in this offseason, more so than usual, um, and getting players' bodies ready, uh, and climbing, talking about how it seems like everybody's been fresh almost every day. Um, hopefully, uh, that will be like an advantage uh, and lead to uh, maybe more durability. Yeah. All right. So that yep. uh, leads us into the next question, which is. Does the new look offensive line look and feel cohesive? To me, because technically we still don't even know who the starting five are going to be. I've seen it floated around that it's going to, from left to right, it's going to be KT Leviston, Cooper Beebe, uh, Gilly, and then Poitier and Duffy at right tackle. I've heard that floated around. Um, regardless of my thoughts at having KT at tackle and BB at guard, I feel at the very least that that is an experienced unit that will at least gel well together. Like there won't be any, any moments where another lineman is pointing at the other, like, Hey, you missed this assignment. Cause I feel at the very least that unit understands what the other one is going to do. And I feel like that would be slightly different if Lane Gang was starting somewhere, but at the very least, I feel like the offensive line looks like they can play as a unit together. Yeah, I'm not really worried about how the offensive line is going to look because I trust Connor Riley as an offensive line coach. And I mean, there weren't really many times last year that I felt particularly worried about them. Kind of the Baylor game, but Siaki Ika exists. So yeah, that's true. That. Um, but I mean, I, I, I think that we're going to have another great offensive line this year. We have probably at least two future NFL draft picks that will likely be starting. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm not worried. I, I'd imagine that in all likelihood, we're not going to notice them much, which is going to be good. Yeah. That probably means they're doing their job um, again. And also this is not a particularly great defensive line from South Dakota, at least from the eye test. So this offensive line should not in theory have much trouble with South Dakota um, unless they're getting really ultra creative with their blitzing. Um, so yeah, unless they turn into Oklahoma state. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm not too worried. Um, the better test is probably going to be Mizzou. But um, this will still be important to just get a, a live action uh, test uh, and maybe move around some of the combinations, uh, see what works. Yeah. And the last story I'm personally going to be watching is how many touches does Deuce Vaughn get this game? I'm going to go 15. I think that he's. I think that this game's going to get out of hand pretty early, and I feel like we're going to say, okay, yeah, we can 
DJ and Anthony Frias can can handle the workload for this one. I'm going with 20. Uh, 16 rushes, four catches. Um, I, I I think that he gets the ball early and often. Um, I I don't know. I th- I do think it gets out of hand a little early, but they uh, I I think that they'll want to make sure that. I don't know he's just getting those reps in. I, I don't think he plays a ton of snaps when it's all said and done. I just think that he gets the ball a lot. And I do think that we see a, a lot of uh, rotation at running back as well, and maybe even situationally. Yeah. Um, And we probably don't see a ton of deuce. If the game is going well, we're not going to see deuce in the fourth quarter of no. this game. So, yeah. So with that said, we can talk about our projected offensive and defensive MVPs. That this this one's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> so I'll go first for defense. You can go first for offense. So Connor, who's going to be your offensive MVP? I'm rolling with Adrian Martinez uh, in his first game as a Wildcat. I, I think that this is probably a game where the offensive workload gets spread around a lot. I think we're testing out a lot of people and seeing what works, what doesn't. And Adrian Martinez, captain of the ship in this case, um, he, uh, uh, I think he's going to manage the offense effectively and do a good job, make some nice throws, uh, make some athletic plays and flash a lot of what we could maybe expect down the road from him. But again, this isn't a game. We don't need Adrian Martinez to throw for like 400 yards and four touchdowns in this game. You know, we need him to throw for maybe 200 and two touchdowns and run for about 50 and a touchdown. And that's probably going to be good enough for MVP in this game, unless he really just has like a phenomenal first half. There's like 300 and a half or something like that. But I'm not expecting that. But I do think that he's going to have a good game be the MVP. Yeah, I agree. I think Adrian Martinez is the pick for this game. And I feel like for the majority of the season, it'll be a trade-off between him and Deuce Vaughn for who will be the MVP. It'll be a constant battle, except for, you know, unless Gilly's having an insane week, insane year and we're playing against Baylor, Gilly might be the MVP because he might have to handle Siaki Ika. <laughs> that is true, actually. So that, that is a pretty specific case. Yeah, that is, that is a lot of if and only if statements there. <laughs> yeah. But in terms of defensive MVPs, I'm going to go with Felix exclusively because Felix is going to be lined up on the tackles. And even if they are double teaming him, all he has to do is pick the tackle to pick his one man and attack half the block. And he's going to win. Not not every rep, but pretty close to every rep. He's at least going to get a lot of pressures. So to me, I feel like the obvious defensive MVP pick is going to be King Felix. I'm rolling with Daniel Green here. Uh, so I guess my MVP picks are the same ones I used for my season MVP picks. Hmm. Um, I'm saying Daniel Green. I think that South Dakota tries to run a lot of draw plays early um, with Tice. And I think Daniel Green shuts that down quickly coming up in the linebacker position. I think he's going to be good for one monster hit in this game and he does not get ejected for targeting <laughs> over and under daniel green ejections i'm gonna say over one and a half um <laughs> i i think it's do screen probably i he's gonna come out playing with his hair on fire um and 
he's going to take any opportunity he can get to take down unsuspecting running back. And he may even blitz a little bit up the middle. I mean, we may even like to have blitz to the edge because I mean, like we, we, our blitz strategy for this game should probably just be overload the edge because they can't block the edge. So, yeah. Yep. So the big moment has come. And what do you think the score is going to be for this game, Connor? I think if the cats control uh, the entire game. I think there's going to be a defensive or special teams touchdown in this game uh, in some fashion. And the offense is efficient, ruthlessly, and they just move the, the ball up and down the field at will. So, and I think the defense holds as well for the most part. So, I'm going to go with the final score 45 to 10. Much the same as you. I just think we're going to score one less touchdown because I think the starters are going to be out by the fourth quarter. So, I think we're going to go 38 to 14, comfortable Kansas State victory. But knowing us, we're going to find a way to play a sweaty against an FCS school. I I really hope not. I can't handle it again. Yeah, I'd really rather not. But should yeah. Not, yeah, should not be feeling stressed against South Dakota. Yeah. If all goes well, we should be fine. Yeah. But that's pretty much it for your pregame scouting report. I hope you all enjoyed the episode and I hope you enjoy the game on Saturday, but thank you all so much for listening. If you want to contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville, a cats that's capital a capital a and capital C and cats. If you want to follow us or contact us on Gmail, we are AggievilleAllyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at AC Edwards zero zero. I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as Neon Alley Cats, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Doom Tang Clan. But most of all, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats. <laughs>